in your Bible today to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Lord willing, we will finish this chapter today. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 18 of 2 Timothy. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, who was a pastor. He says, This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among those or among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant to him that he he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. This is the reading of God's inspired, inerrant word. May the Lord write it on our hearts and may it be profitable for each one of us today. Let's pray. Lord, would you teach us your ways today, uh, instruct us from the word. We, we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit, and that, Lord, in our hearts, we would be willing to hear what you have to say, willing to be corrected, instructed in righteousness, that the man or woman of God might be fully equipped for every good work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you look back a couple of verses... Uh, Verses that we looked at last week, Paul had instructed Timothy to hold fast to sound doctrine and to guard the good deposit of truth uh, that had been entrusted to him. And of course, in the church today, we have to do the same. We have to hold fast the truth. And a return, you see, to sound theology is going to preserve the church in an age of unfaithfulness. And as I said last week, the study of God is the antidote to the godlessness of our times. But sound doctrine is not all that the church needs. Uh, It's the foundation, uh, and it is uh, very, very needful. But for the church to thrive and to be what uh, God wants it to be, believers uh, need not only to be faithful to the truth, to doctrine, but we must also be faithful to practice uh, what um, what the Word tells us to do. So, faith and practice, doctrine and life, are both uh, needful. And so, um, you and I need to not only love God and and think about how He has saved us and and who God is, His attributes, and so forth. We need to consider how to love one another and support each other and to help each other. Uh, our ultimate loyalty, of course, is to God and to His Word. But we, I think we need to have a fierce loyalty to each other as Christians, especially in uh, the times we are in where, uh, where the Christian faith is under attack, where Christians are under attack. We need to love and support one another all the more. So, Paul, you see, in this passage, he highlights these two things about faith or doctrine and and how we are to live. And he said to Timothy earlier, he said, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, of the truth. He said, 
nor of me, his prisoner. Uh, so we have dealing with the truth, but also dealing with believers and our fellowship together, our love for each other. So in the passage today, we see two things. We see uh, a negative example of two individuals who were ashamed of the gospel, ashamed of Paul. But we also see a positive example of at least one individual who was not ashamed of Paul, who did what he could to support him and to help him when he was in prison and when he was being neglected by others. This man, Onesiphorus, uh, not the catchiest name. In fact, this is the only time we hear uh, anything about this man is in 2 Timothy. But he was practicing what uh, we could refer to as the communion of the saints. And one of the chapters in the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is printed for you today in the bulletin, uh, is titled, Of the Communion of the Saints. And that's not one of the chapters we pay that much attention to, to be honest. Uh, But uh, as we study the verses in 2 Timothy today, we're going to hopefully learn uh, what that means and how we're to put that into practice in our lives. So two points today, a warning against spiritual desertion and an encouragement uh, for faithfulness in our support of each other in the church. So first of all, the warning against spiritual desertion. And it does seem in our day uh, to me, Uh, that more and more professing Christians have distanced themselves from the church. Uh, Either they have quit attending, or even if they attend, they are on the periphery and they're not very involved in other people's lives. You know, some will will say, you know, I can be just as spiritual and just as close to the Lord on my own. I don't need the church. Um, I quoted last week from the, the recent study that was done, looking near ministry's state of theology. And uh, one of the questions in the survey had to do with uh, the Christian's obligation to the local church. And some, was, some of the questions were asked of the whole population. Some were asked just of evangelical Christians, Christians like you and I, who believe the Bible, believe the gospel. And 26% of evangelical Christians do not think that Christians have an obligation uh, to join a local church. You know, some people attend church like they do restaurants. You know, they try a different one every week or maybe every couple months, um, something like that. Uh, And some have quit going to church altogether. They don't see anything wrong with that. But, you know, there's there's several things wrong with it. Uh, three things that I, I would mention, the lack of commitment to the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, first of all, it's, it, it's a deficient understanding of the need and the command, the duty for Christians to gather for corporate worship. Uh, do not neglect, do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves. It's just the habit of some, the Bible tells us. Uh, Secondly, uh, to be uninvolved in the church reveals a lack of concern for fellow Christians. You know, a lot of people will tell you, I don't don't go to church anymore because those Christians, (laughs) those other, those Christians uh, mistreated me. The church, the people in the church uh, weren't nice to me. But 
uh, you know, we have to have a concern. How are we going to express that concern for one another if we are not together? And third, to remain aloof from the church is to disobey the command in Scripture to submit to those in authority in the church, uh, which is stated in Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember those who rule over you, who've spoken the word of God to you. If you're not in church, you don't know who they, they are. Uh, you're not under authority. And then verse 17 of Hebrews 13 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. But if you're not there, they can't watch out for your soul. And you have no one, uh, therefore, in authority who can do that if you're not in church. Paul was an apostle. Uh, He was called to that ministry by God. He faithfully preached the gospel. He faithfully uh, started new churches. Uh, and he preached to both G- Jews and Gentiles, but as an apostle, of course, as one of the supreme leaders in the church, uh, he deserved the respect, uh, submission, and love that was due to him. And yet Paul had to write these sad words in 2 Timothy 1.15, This you know, Timothy, all those in Asia have turned away from me, and then he names Phygelus and Hermogenes. Uh, all in Asia turned away from him. Uh, what a sad thing. Remember, Paul was in a Roman uh, prison, a dungeon cell, and he was in prison because of his faithfulness in preaching the gospel and in shepherding the flock of God uh, around uh, that region. And, and so Paul wanted Timothy, he wanted the church to know Uh, that the believers in Asia had turned away from him, that they had deserted him in his time of need. So what what was Paul doing? Was he feeling sorry for himself and he was just kind of commiserating uh, with Timothy here? Why would he even bring this up? Um, Well, notice that that Paul, first of all, is naming names here, uh, something that often uh, Christians today would say, oh, he should never name names. Well, Phygelus and Hermogenes were named, uh, and it wasn't good uh, what Paul had to say. And uh, these two men in particular were named. They must have been prominent members or leaders, perhaps, in the church. They deserted him. They deserted not only Paul, but the gospel, uh, evidently, and, uh, and the true church. And so Paul was not taking personal digs at these people. He was not trying to get back at them for what they had done to him. No, no, he was giving a warning to Timothy and to the church. Uh, not to follow in their steps. In Acts 19 and 20, uh, you find uh, the record where Paul uh, had ministered in Ephesus. He had great success there, uh, but also much opposition while preaching the gospel uh, in this part of Asia Minor. And in his farewell message to the elders in Ephesus, where Timothy was pastoring, Acts 20 and verse 30, Paul says, Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. And so we see in this present situation, in Paul's present situation, this prediction uh, was already coming true. And and so Paul was suffering uh, from disloyalty and desertion from those who should have supported him and supported the gospel. Um, But... And this shows us, as, as Douglas Milne writes in his commentary, he says that the most faithful servants of Christ 
uh, will meet with and have to endure the most painful experiences of personal disloyalty as they seek to honor Christ in their work. If you serve Christ, don't expect everybody to, um, you know, always be there for you. Uh, didn't happen to Paul. It may not happen to us if we serve Christ. Now, it ought to, and that's what I'm encouraging us to do. Don't let that happen in this congregation. Uh, but uh, Paul wasn't worried as much about personal pain as he was the good of the church here. And uh, he knew that when the church heard about this desertion, that it was going to perhaps shake up their faith and um, you know make their hearts be a little downcast about it. But So Paul meets this public departure from the faith head on. He doesn't want you know, people to just gossip about it. He wants to deal with it directly. And so uh, it should not be a surprise to us when this happens in the church, when people desert the faith, desert the church. It should not affect our faith. Uh, Jesus said it would happen. Uh, Paul told the Ephesian elders it would happen. And, of course, when it does happen, uh, when prominent Christians do desert the faith, leave the church, uh, it, it creates a scandal. But, and I think of Joshua Harris. Joshua Harris was a pastor, uh, a well-known author of, of several very popular Christian books. And a few years ago, he, he announced that he was getting a divorce from his wife of 21 years. And then a few days later on Instagram, he wrote that he was undergoing a massive shift in his faith and that he no longer considered himself a Christian. Jim Daly was, uh, wrote, when he, he was, as president of Focus on the Family, he said, Critics of Christianity are gloating over a former pastor and Christian spokesman re renouncing the faith. But Joshua Harris is not the first, nor will he be the last, to do so. In fact, as our culture becomes increasingly hostile to Christianity, I believe it's likely that more people will choose a similar path. And we say, why, why, you know, Lord? Um, well, God is, uh, as it were, he is, he is winnowing uh, his church through the times that we live in. Uh, you know, the, the pressures of this world uh, to be conformed to the pattern of this world, to think like the world says you must think is going to be more and more powerful. And you and I, who remain faithful to God and his word, we're going to suffer. We'll be tempted ourselves. Uh, but the Bible says, take heed uh, if you think you stand, lest you fall. So we, we depend on the Lord to keep us, of course. But uh, we shouldn't be surprised when it happens. We shouldn't let it shake our faith. Um, People may turn away from Christ and from his word. It's disappointing. It's, 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 it certainly is not a, a good thing at all. But the Lord Jesus Christ does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't forsake his own. We should not forsake him. His word is still true. Uh, such men as Phygelus and Hermogenes, their names are going to forever live in infamy because of their abandonment of Jesus Christ, Joshua Harris as well. This is serious sin. This is sin that Hebrews 6 says, if, if professing Christians fall away from Christ, it's impossible to renew them again 
to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. That's, that's a challenging passage for us. And certainly I think we still should pray for these people, not Phygelus and Hermogenes, it's too late for them. But uh, Joshua Harris, we can pray for him, but I don't think there's much hope for him according to what Hebrews says. That's a, that's a very sobering warning for anyone who leaves the church, leaves Christ, leaves the word of God. The Apostle John in 1 John 2.19 says of those who, that those who left the faith and left the church, uh, he says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out that it might be plain they, that they are not of us. Joshua Harris, he's, we thought he was one of us, but he wasn't. Fidelis and Hermogenes, they looked like they were one of the church, the true church. They weren't. These are things that are, are difficult for us, but we need to face them. This is a warning for all of us to stay true to the Lord. Don't let the world uh, guide your thinking. Don't let the world turn you away from faithfulness and loyalty to Jesus Christ. Secondly, from our passage, in contrast to the unfaithfulness of these deserters, we see praise from Paul for those who are faithful to serve Christ and to serve uh, his followers. Uh, though all had turned away from Paul in Asia, and, and, and maybe that literally wasn't everyone, certainly there was one who remained by his side through thick and thin, Onesiphorus. This man, Onesiphorus, and his household, their names will be forever identified as those who were loyal and faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Don't you want to be remembered that way in eternity? I didn't serve my own interests. I didn't wander off into the ways of the world, but I stayed faithful to Jesus Christ. Now, again, that is not something that we have within ourselves to do. It is only by the grace of God uh, that we can uh, do that. We're not saved by doing these things, of course, but it's, it is the evidence and it is the outworking of our salvation that we love one another in the church and we support one another. So, Onesiphorus ministered to Paul and shared in his sufferings. And in verse 16, Paul breaks out into a prayer for God's blessing on the household of Onesiphorus. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. And some have taken this to mean that since Paul is praying for the household here and not Onesiphorus, that he must have died. Several commentators have said that. Um, but if that's the case, then Paul's prayer in verse 18 would really be a prayer for the dead. And I don't believe that that's what the Bible teaches. The Roman Catholic Church actually takes this passage and, and uses it. Very, very weak passage for this to try to prove that it's okay to pray for the dead. Um, and, and I would just give you an example and, and this is Dr. Gordon Clark mentioned this in his commentary he said you know if I pray for my daughters and their families someone might you know conclude that their husbands were dead he says nonsense I just didn't mention their names you know 
when I'm praying for them. And I've done that before as well. I'm praying for my own family members. I, I pray for the families. I don't uh, just because we don't mention a name doesn't mean the person has died. So it's a very weak argument to say we can pray for the dead. Um, it's a presumption, and I don't believe it's true at all. I think Onesiphorus is very much alive. He's praying for blessing on on him in verse 18 and on his family uh, in verse 16. As I said, we don't really know much about him. All we know is in this book, Second uh, Timothy 4.19 is another place, but it's just a, a mention. We don't learn any new information there. But uh, Onesiphorus, like the unfaithful guys, Fidelis and Hermogenes, was from Asia, Asia Minor, and, uh, and yet one was a true friend to Paul, and the others were not. And in contrast to those who turned away from Paul, Onesiphorus was not ashamed of Paul's chains. Um, that was, you know, it was a challenge in those days because Roman persecution was building. And to identify yourself with one who was in prison as this persecution was building in Rome uh, was a dangerous thing. But Nisiphorus wasn't ashamed of his chains. And Paul said, when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. Uh, evidently, there were numbers of places where you could be put into a, a cell and they weren't necessarily easy to find. And so he would have had to go around and ask people here and there. And of course, each time he identifies himself, what, are you a follower of the Christian way? Uh, are you a friend of this man who was arrested? You know, he would have to face those kinds of things. And we don't know what happened to Anisiphorus. Perhaps he suffered uh, the same kind of fate that Paul would suffer. But um, he found Paul. Uh, he had been a member of the church in Ephesus where Paul had preached for a couple of years. And um, as I said, Timothy was the pastor of the church. And, and he says, Timothy, you well know how Anisiphorus ministered to me at that time. And so you can imagine the church at Ephesus and how they felt a great debt uh, to the Apostle Paul. It was to Paul that the Ephesian church owed its origin. And probably Anusiphorus owed his conversion to Paul's preaching. And, and, and certainly how grateful you and I should be for those who preached, have preached the gospel to us in our lives, who have faithfully preached the word of God, who have witnessed to us, who have shared good news with us, who have uh, helped us to understand the Bible, preachers, teachers, evangelists, missionaries, church planters, uh, ordinary Christians, who uh, people who are on the front lines in gospel warfare. They're willing to suffer ridicule. They're willing to be persecuted, to be criticized, to suffer for Christ and the gospel. And so Onesiphorus shows us that we need to support such people. Paul said he often refreshed me. Roman prisons at that time uh, didn't provide food. They didn't provide clothing. They didn't provide blankets. They just provided a place for you to be kept. <laughs> And if you didn't have any friends or any family to come and give you food and uh, give you a blanket, uh, then you're not going to last very long in a Roman prison. So Anisiphorus was a true friend. Uh, 
Paul might not have lived to, to be executed if he wasn't there to give him food and other supplies. Surely he did that. But I think the greatest thing that Onesiphorus did for Paul was just to be there for him. He knew what he risked to be there and to find him. And Paul would have appreciated that very, very much. Uh, well, at, at this time, uh, Christian, Christians in Rome were about to face very se- severe persecution. Uh, they were going to be fed to the lions. Uh, they were going to be burned alive, some as torches that Nero would light on fire. Uh, the historian Eusebius, Eusebius claimed that Paul was beheaded uh, at the order of the Roman Nipper, uh, Emperor Nero or one of his uh, subordinates. And uh, it's believed that Paul's martyrdom, his death, occurred not long after uh, the burning of Rome, the fire which Nero blamed on Christians, and that made it even worse for Christians. But So Anisiphorus, at great risk, this is a dangerous time, uh, did what he could to encourage and help Paul. Paul was refreshed like a cup of cold water on a hot day. Uh, His presence refreshed Paul. And he visited him not only once, but many times over. And you can imagine how grateful Paul was. He says, the Lord grant unto him to find mercy of the Lord in that day. He's not saying that Onesiphorus would be saved by the good works he's doing. No, that's that's not it at all. Uh, I think He's saying, may the Lord so, you know, uh, give, give him an abundance of mercy when he gets to heaven. You know, an abundant welcome as he enters heaven. Uh, Calvin said, this prayer shows us how rich a reward awaits those who perform kind offices to the saints. Uh, the Bible does say that we will be rewarded in heaven uh, for our deeds done in the name of Christ and for his glory. So Paul prays for his God's mercy to be extended to Onesiphorus as well as his household. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Onesiphorus was merciful. And Paul was praying then for that mercy promised that Jesus had promised for the merciful. Uh, Peter said in 2 Peter 1.11, And you will receive a rich welcome into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ if you live out your, your Christian faith in essence. So, you know, on the day of judgment, you and I are probably going to be surprised, right, that some people that we thought were Christians, people like Phygelus and Hermogenes uh, and others that we, that we knew, uh, would be surprised that they are cast into the everlasting fire because they profess to know Christ, but Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And, and some believers will enter heaven, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, and yet they will be saved so as by fire. They will make it in, but the little, this, a little bit of the smell of smoke uh, will, uh, will, will, will go with them. And then... Of course, those who truly knew the Lord, who served the Lord, who gave themselves uh, faithfully and and unselfishly uh, for others, will have an abundant entrance. And the reward will be rich because of the rich grace that was at work in that person's life. Now, how how can we apply these verses 
to our own lives as we close. Well, first of all, think about your life in light of the final day. It's interesting that, you know, Paul refers to that day, that final day, the day in which we stand before God and give an account of our lives. Are you prepared to stand before God? Are you ready? Uh, Do you have the assurance in your heart that you are saved and that you would enter heaven when you die? And if not, today you need to not walk, run to Jesus and come to him now. Surrender your soul into his hands and receive him as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can do that right now. As you're listening to this message, call upon Jesus Christ. Put, don't put that off. Pray in your heart to the Lord. Call on him to save your sins. He's promised that he would do that. And on the final day, you'll be so glad, so happy that you did. Well, another application is to remember this concept of the communion of saints that I mentioned earlier in the sermon. And I would draw your attention to that uh, section on the Westminster Confession that you see uh, in the bulletin, if you want to look at that. But the confession says this in that first section. First of all, it says that saints, Christians, have fellowship with Jesus and with each other. Uh, We're connected to Jesus, and because we're connected to Jesus, we're also connected to each other. We're in communion with each other. And it says that being united to one another in love, saints have communion in each other's gifts and graces, Onesiphorus had communion in Paul's gifts of preaching and teaching. Uh, those, those gifts that Paul had uh, were shared with others. And we are obliged to the performance of such duties as do conduce to their mutual good, both in, in the inward and outward man. And we see Onesiphorus' response to the gifts and graces that were in Paul's life. He responds with, uh, seeking to meet Paul's needs in the inward and the outward man. So look around you and, and, and recognize that the believers that you sit next to and that are in this building today, um, they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are united to them in fellowship with them and communion with them. And you have an obligation to love them and to support them, to encourage them, and to give yourself for them, for each other. And uh, we are to do that for our mutual good. The Confession of Faith goes on in section 2 to say that this communion, as God offers opportunity, is to be extended unto all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. So the communion of saints extends beyond the confines of this local church or any other local church, uh, wherever we Meet those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, or at least seem to know him. Uh, We ought to be ready to express the love of God for them, for each other. You know, the Lord loves all those who are his. All those who are his. And there are some that are hard to love. (laughs) All of us are hard to love, if you think about it. But uh, some are very hard for us to love, and yet if he loves them, we need to love them. He has tender compassion for all true children of God, and so should we. Um, So we need to stand with those, especially who are suffering, who are in need, 
to assist them, to refresh them, and especially those in the ministry, whether they are at home or abroad, wherever they serve, who put their lives, their reputations on the line, who could have maybe done other things and done uh, well for themselves in life or in business, but they chose to follow Christ because they weren't in it for the money. They were in, in it for the kingdom of God and the glory of God. And at the very least, we ought to pray earnestly for those people who are serving Christ uh, in word and doctrine and so forth. Well, we ought to love all true followers of Jesus, even those that don't act, you know, don't don't agree with every little detail that, of doctrine that that we hold to. Um, that's okay. We we can reach out and love them, weep with those who weep, rejoice those who rejoice, cheer up those who are downcast, comfort the discouraged, to help meet the needs of fellow believers and so refresh the soul. The world does not care about you and me, does not care about the church, does not care about Christians. We need to care for each other. Remember the words of Christ in Matthew 25. I'll close with this. When Jesus comes back, Uh, in his glory in the second coming it says then jesus will say to those on his right hand come you blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world that's by grace through faith alone in christ alone but the evidence that they did truly trust in christ he says for i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me drink i was a stranger and you took me in I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Onesiphorus did that, didn't he? Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these My brethren, you did it to me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the the living and abiding word of God. Uh, Lord, we are all convicted that we could be and do so much better, Lord, for each other as Christians. And uh, we we are selfish too much and... um, We look out for ourselves, but Lord, I pray that you give us eyes to see the needs of people around us who claim the name of Christ. And we do pray for our missionaries today who are in many ways uh, alone in in their service. We pray for uh, the Galetas in Rwanda. Uh, We do thank you for the the Christians there, and we pray for that church uh, in Rwanda. And for the church in Pakistan, Mexico, and many other places for the church in the U.S., Lord, that believers would stand firm in the faith and on the sound doctrine of Scripture, and that we would stand firmly side by side with each other, Lord, when the world and the persecution and the heavy hand of the evil one comes against us, Lord, we would be there for each other. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's take our hymnals.